This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I always encourage people to think not so much about what you get for it, um, because what you get from it is clean water, wildlife, thriving habitats, wonderful forests. Welcome to the National Wildlife Federation Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Youngdike. The National Wildlife Federation Outdoors Podcast is sponsored by Rep Your Water and the 3% for Conservation Commitment. And my guest today is Emily Wood, Executive Director of the Indiana Wildlife Federation. And we are recording this at the Hoosier Outdoor Writers Conference in Indianapolis. Emily, thank you for being on the podcast. It's my pleasure. Thanks for being an indie. Well, and while we were here, I was actually talking a little bit about uh, Asian carp uh, to, to the outdoor writers here. And Emily came and talked about the work that the Indiana Wildlife Federation does as well. And I thought, well, why not have all of our listeners get to hear that as well? Um, so tell me about your role as executive director of the Indiana Wildlife Federation, as well as some of the current priorities that you're working on now? Yeah, it's a great question. So Indiana Wildlife Federation, we've been around for about as long as the National Wildlife Federation. I think you guys uh, incorporated two years before us, but we weren't an affiliate with NWF until 1960, um, an official affiliate. Before that, we were the Indiana Conservation Council, Inc., ICCI. So we've had a really long history in the state, over 80 years doing conservation work. Um, we were born out of the conservation movement, the Teddy Roosevelt conservation movement. So our backbone of our organization was always still started with hunters and anglers. Um, but as the um, our organization has grown over time um, and in alignment with the National Wildlife Federation, we are, of course, trying to broaden that wildlife constituency so that we can bring more people to the table, more voices um, to elevate the wildlife crisis. And really, um, you know, our function as a federation is, is to be a collaborator and to bring people together. And so that's really um, what we have always done and, what, and what, we, what we continue to do. You know, that's interesting. I read in a history of National Wildlife Federation 
that Ding Darling, who founded the National Wildlife Federation in uh, 1936, and the way that we were founded is he convinced President Roosevelt to call this conservation uh, meeting, basically, this big conference. Um, at the time, it was the middle of the Depression, wildlife were in a crisis, um, and he united uh, hunters and anglers with backyard gardeners and birders and you name it together for this conference. And out of this conference came the Pittman-Robertson Act, where uh, a certain percentage of the excise tax on hunting and firearms equipment goes toward wildlife conservation. But the other thing that happened is the National Wildlife Federation was created, which was then called the General Wildlife Federation. But I read that he got the idea for the Federation model from Indiana. So maybe I was sure it was your organization, but maybe it was like a predecessor that had a similar Mm -hmm. structure. But it was Indiana that inspired him to, to have this Federation model where the independent affiliates... Um, drive the work of the the government. I wouldn't say governing because they're really being governed by the affiliates. And that's what you do with Indiana Wildlife Federation. You're one of the independent affiliates of National Wildlife Federation, which means we don't tell you what to do. It means that you all get together and tell us <laughs> what to do. Um, how, how does that federation model work um, in the state now with Indiana Wildlife Federation, your affiliates? Well, it's it's a great model and it's, it's one that I have found to be really just invaluable in the work that we do to have the partnership with not only the national structure, but all of the affiliates around us, because, you know, as we know, wildlife doesn't follow state lines or county lines. Um, A lot of times wildlife, you know, flies across our state um, and goes to many other states. And so it really has to be collaborative. Um, We can't be siloed or we won't be effective. So, um, I I have been uh, with IWF, the Indiana Wildlife Federation, now for coming on three years, and I am still learning um, how how connected we are with the national partners and how much of a resource. I, I almost always forget. Um, you know, you, you can easily get out in the weeds in, converse, in conservation. Um, you know, you get your head down. You're just trying to do the work. You're trying to talk to your legislators. You're trying to educate the public, and you feel a little isolated sometimes. But it's always great to. Uh, reconnect with our national partners, folks like you. I get to see you a couple times a year and we can, you know, connect on the issues that are really affecting all of us and, you know, talk about what's working in your state so that we can apply it to what's working in our state. And then our, our national partners also, you know, the fact that we are leading, that, that, that they give us the empowerment to say what is happening in our states that's rising to the top of the issues and that we can report that back to the national um, uh, federation and at the meetings, then we can apply ourselves, all the smart people in the room can apply ourselves to a collaborative fix. Um, and, and we really aren't alone. So it's like our, our organization is pretty small. We only have four people on staff, but we cover the whole state. And we couldn't do that without our national partners supporting the work that we do, allowing us to lead the work in our own states and really um, making us more collaborative across the country to, to have those really good outcomes. And you have uh, such a strong staff with, with so few, um, especially within, well, really within any nonprofit, but especially conservation nonprofits, everybody kind of has to wear a few different hats. Um, what are the programs um, that your staff accomplishes, even with such a small staff? Yeah, our programs are our bread and butter. This is 
um, how we go out into this across the state and really get our message across. So um, we have two staff members that are dedicated um, to our programs and the, and the main ones that we that we do are my, my colleague Aaron, he's our habitat programs manager. So he actually kind of has a suite of programs that he delivers across the state, which includes the National Wildlife Federation's Backyard Habitat Program, which is now the Wildlife Friendly um, Certification Program. Um, we deliver that workshop probably close to 40 times a year. Um, and then we've also developed uh, climate and wildlife workshops, um, agriculture and wildlife workshops. We do advocacy workshops. And so we're really out doing a lot of environmental education and trying to connect people with the issues. Because what we found is that people are really hungry to get involved. They just a lot of times don't know how to plug in. And so um, our habitat programs are really going out into the community and giving people the opportunity to plug into something that's uh, conservation based. And, and, and a lot of people are, are really um, excited about that. So um, the other program that we're really, really excited about, we launched in 2017, it's called our Sustainable Trails Program. Okay. We modeled it after the Backyard Habitat Program, which, um, you know, the key or the, the kind of seed crystal of that is those four needs of wildlife, you know, the food, water, shelter and nesting space. I think there's actually added a fifth one now. Okay. But I can't remember what it is. Um, but we, you know, we address that same thing. It's modeled around that meeting the four needs of wildlife. But we in Indiana are, are really focusing on connectivity, getting people out into natural spaces, getting them to have that appreciation and the love of the outdoors. And so we know that that's in Indiana trails a lot of time, but trails typically go right through habitat, right through sensitive habitat. And so this program is designed for trail managers, trail users, people wanting to put down new trails through sensitive areas, and it helps make a wildlife friendly trail, keeping them away from sensitive breeding spots, away from water sources, things like that. And so once we have those partners on the ground, then, we're, then we uh, uh, reach out into the community to actually implement the work that needs to be done. So we're doing trail building projects, pollinator installations, tree plantings, invasive species removal. And we're doing that by activating community volunteers to take a role in, the, in stewardship of their own natural resources. And as we are you know, face to face with those people, that's what we tell them the most. This is your land, this is your water, this is your wildlife, and you're doing a good thing when you come out here and do stewardship. And then you also have a staffer um, funded through the Fish and Wildlife Service uh, working directly on Asian carp because I see him at the Asian carp that's right. as well. Right. That's right. Jim Breeden, he's our Asian carp coordinator. So um, I'm sure that you've talked on the podcast about GLRI and um, our partnership with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service that funds his position. Um, he's not in our office. He works up near you um, and is exclusively focused on that Asian carp issue because it is a big one. So um, we... We look forward to always hearing from him, and he keeps us um, really connected to the work that's happening up closer uh, to Lake Michigan. And for folks that uh, aren't familiar with this, um, you know, I'm in the Great Lakes, uh, Emily's in the Great Lakes, but if you're listening from another part of the country, the GLRI is the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative. Um, it, it has been funded historically at about $300 million a year. There's actually a proposal to bump it up to $320 uh, million uh, this year and to ramp that up eventually to its full authorized amount of 475. So we're hoping that happens. But that's part of what funds this U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, position um, that helps you guys engage in the fight to stop Asian carp and keep them out of the Great Lakes. Um, the other federal uh, 
initiative that you guys seem really active in is helping to pass the Recovery in America's Wildlife Act. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that act is as well as um, your advocacy here in Indiana to, to push it? Yeah, this is just a landmark legislation, uh, Recovering America's Wildlife, H.R. 3742. Um, and it directs, uh, it directs $1.3 billion each year into the state wildlife action plan. So congressionally mandated, each state must have a state wildlife action plan. Those plans deal specifically with the threatened and endangered species that occur in that plan or in those states. And um, this funding would be directed specifically into each state's wildlife action plan. Now here in Indiana, our state wildlife action plan typically has around $900,000 of funding that we have to deal with all of the 144 species that are threatened and endangered in our state. If Recovering America's Wildlife Act were to pass, we would be, we would, the formula would give us about $18 million, we believe. Um, so if you think about $900,000, what you can do with that and then compare it to 18 million, it's, it's literally a game changer. And so, uh, you know, here in the state of Indiana, we have a huge problem because we are so underfunded um, and we're looking at ways to get this dedicated conservation funding here in the state. So this piece of legislation is just a great partner to that because for us to pull down that Recovering America's Wildlife money, we have to have a match. So we have to come up with about four to six million dollars okay. in the first place, which we don't have. So we are also working here with many conservation partners. We're called the Indiana Conservation Alliance. It's a it's kind of a loose affiliation of different groups, includes the whole spectrum from sporting groups all the way to just environmental advocacy type groups. But we're all working on dedicated conservation funding in this state. And we're looking at the ways that other states around us are doing that. And uh, right now, we think that the most effective method that we're considering is a is a sales tax carve out. Okay. So um, each of those uh, a sales tax carve out would be related directly to um, the, the the tax code that's related on sport sporting goods. Okay. So any type of outdoor goods um, would would that tax code would just go straight into conservation rather than going into general appropriations. And so it's not raising the tax on correct. it. It's just, what are we doing with that tax that's already being collected? That's correct. And is that similar to the model that Georgia did? That's right. Okay. Yep. Ge yeah. Georgia and led by the Georgia Wildlife Federation mm -hmm. um, implemented that type of model um, so that they could have that match as well. And that was really successful. In fact, I think they gave a presentation at that about that at the National uh, Wildlife Federation's yeah. annual meeting too. Um, that's an interesting way that, the, that those concepts can go from state to state mm -hmm. through the National Federation. Yeah, it's just another example of how, you know, we, we leverage, you know, there's no reason for us to reinvent the wheel. Someone's already got all this language pulled right. together. It's worked in several different states. We can take it and apply it to the different, you know, slight differences in our legislature here. But, um, you know, in Georgia, I think it was a ballot initiative and it passed with something like 80 percent, I want to say something in that maybe yes. upper 70s Tremendously or successful. They also worked at it for a long time. Right. Like it, it was one of those things where it seems like you, you push, you put your shoulder in, it's frustration, push, push, push. And then suddenly, boom, it's there. That's um, right so important to get that funding in Indiana. Um, and, and I think some folks too think that maybe it's just threatened endangered species, um, but we're talking game species too. Rough grouse um, in Indiana need a lot of help right now. They could use a lot of that funding for some of the habitat mm -hmm. management that they need. Um, so it's not just 
non-game species, but sometimes it's game species like that too. Um, out west, it's the sage grouse, um, you know, and so sometimes it's these iconic game species that we can't have as game species if their numbers aren't doing well. They need habitat management and these wildlife action plans that the states already have because the state agencies are required to have them um, by law. So they have the plans. This would fund them. Um, how how have you how has the reception been to that? Because I know you're going and meeting with editorial boards. You've gone to Washington D.C. Um, so you've been right where you need to to push the buttons. Um, how is that going? It's it's a long uphill battle, but um, it's it's one that we are seeing some some positive movement in. Um, it's a lot of grassroots work. It's a lot of footwork. It's a lot of talking to different legislators um, and just really explaining the value of those quality habitats. Great thing about habitats: if you put down rough grouse habitat, you're also putting down habitat for a bunch of other species. So, just helping people to understand the value of having quality habitats and the economic economic impacts of those things. It's a huge industry here, outdoor recreation, hunting and fishing. And, and I think a lot of, a lot of legislators uh, look past that. So we're making an economic case. We're making a case for habitats. We're making a case for community development. And it's going pretty well when we're in person. That has not yet translated to sign-ons onto to co-sponsoring RAWA, Recovering America's Wildlife Act. Um, yet yeah, we only have one co-sponsor in the state. That's Susan Brooks. Um, so... While we're getting good feedback, while the our, our elected officials seem uh, open to it and seems generally supportive, it hasn't quite yet translated into uh, a sign-on. And that, I think, is an indicator that we just haven't done quite enough groundwork because our job is to educate the constituents. Once the constituents know that there's an issue, then they typically will rise up and start making those phone calls. And until we get those numbers in the state, we probably won't see a lot of action. So it's really important that we do stuff like this, where we talk to broader audiences or at the Outdoor Writers Conference, which is what I was encouraging, to have people help us elevate this wildlife crisis so that people become concerned enough about it to actually reach out to their legislators, because I think that's where the link is missing here. Well, you heard it. So call your member of Congress, especially if you're in Indiana, but really wherever you are, and tell them if they're not already co-sponsoring to co-sponsor the Recovering America's Wildlife Act. Uh, because Emily, uh, the Indiana Wildlife Federation, they're doing their part. They're doing the work of going to DC, talking with the legislators, giving them all the information. What they need is the air support from the members to say, yep, we agree with that, and we, the constituents, want you to do that um, as well. Um, folks want more information about that as well as to support the Indiana Wildlife Federation. Where can they find that? Our website is really easy. It's indianawildlife.org. Um, we have, uh, we're, of course, a member-based um, organization just like NWF, and People all, all the time ask, what is it, what do you get for a membership? And um, I always encourage people to think not so much about what you get for it, um, because what you get from it is clean water, wildlife, thriving habitats, wonderful forests. You also get a newsletter. You get invited to cool events um, and you get lots of um, legislative action updates and you get connected really into the conservation community. But what you're really doing when you join is you're supporting our work. You're allowing us to provide free habitat programs all over the state in urban communities that need those messages as well. We're doing habitat restoration projects. We're making partnerships all across the state and we're putting good habitat down um, in the places that really need it. So that's actually what your membership is doing. It's helping us to grow our work. 
That's tremendous. Emily, thank you for being on the National Wildlife Federation Outdoors podcast. Thank you for the work that Indiana Wildlife Federation does and the partnership with the National Wildlife Federation. This has been the National Wildlife Federation Outdoors podcast, as always, sponsored by Rep Your Water at www.repyourwater.com. And while you're at it, go to www.indianawildlife.org. Become a member, support the work, call your member of Congress, tell them to support the Recovering America's Wildlife Act.